Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development and software testing. Okay, let's say you've got a web application that you need to test. It has a REST API that you want to use for testing, so that's awesome. Can you use Python for this testing even if the application is written in some other language? Well, of course. Can you use PyTest? Duh, yes. What else would you use? What if you wanted to test that in an environment that is inside of a Docker instance and you want the testing apparatus to get your Docker instances spun up and running and then tear down afterwards and do all that for you? How would you use PyTest to do that? Well, to exactly how, I'm not sure. But I know somebody who does know how to do that. And that's Dima Spivak. Dima is the director of engineering at Streamsets, and he and his team are doing things like this. It's pretty awesome what they're doing there. So let's hear how they're doing it in this episode. Thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. Check them out at testandcode.com slash DigitalOcean. All right. Today, I should have asked you this ahead of time, but uh, on Testing Code, we've got uh, Dima Spivak, but I probably mispronounced your name. Is that right? No, yeah, that's right. Dima Spivak. Okay, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> I am kind of excited about everything we're going to talk about today because I think I'll learn a lot. Some people might not know who you are, so can you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Dima Spivak. I'm a director of engineering at a company called Streamsets, which is based out of San Francisco. You know, our one-liner is that we basically work on what we call data ops, which is kind of bringing DevOps best practices and principles to the data integration space. So we build a platform based on that. Okay, and what do you do there? So I'm a director of engineering, so I kind of oversee two teams. I oversee our technical writing team, which is one of the most important teams that any company can ever have. And then I also oversee a team that's called engineering productivity because at Streamsets, we don't have a traditional kind of QA organization. Our developers are the ones that are actually in charge of writing all the testing. But what our engineering productivity team does is they, they're they responsible for creating the frameworks and the automation and kind of the glue that lets developers kind of quickly iterate and write tests. So that's kind of how we came into, into using PyTest was that our team was kind of tasked with creating a framework that developers could quickly use to write their own testing. I love that notion of naming a team engineering productivity. Yeah, one of the things we, we discovered with it was that ultimately the goal wasn't just testing because we also found that there was other things we could do to enable engineers, like we could build dashboards and things that are not traditional testing things, so we kind of broadened the scope pretty early on. When you came into it, was that already called engineering productivity? No, originally we were, I was one of the first you know employees that was on this team, and we originally were just called the quality team, because the idea was, okay, you guys are tasked with making sure quality is good, and then as we kind of started doing stuff, we realized, well, one, it doesn't really scale if you've got 15 developers, and then two or three people in charge of quality, you kind of, you'll have an imbalance there. So then pretty soon we realized, okay, well, what we're doing is we're kind of enabling engineers and the developers on that side to be productive. So the name was volunteered actually by by one of the people on our team. So it wasn't even me. So someone else said, hey, how about engineering productivity? And I go, that's a great name. We're going to use that. I love it. And I like I like the uh, focus on technical writing too, because there's, um, I know that's, that's Probably different people, but that's also really important. Definitely. So you're doing uh, some interesting things with uh, with Python and testing. Yeah, sure. So basically, yeah, one of the one of the things we do is our product is actually it's kind of weird that we got into testing with Python because our product is actually written in Java. It's Java, and then our front end for the product is Angular. So we have kind of like a web application that works. 
it's kind of weird that we started using Python because we don't use Python for much of anything else at the company. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's easy to pick up. Or have have you found that? So the people on your team have had to learn Python while they're they're learning this. Absolutely. Yeah. So the the people directly on the engineering productivity team were both kind of you know back end Java developers when they joined, and then pretty quickly they became kind of the resident Python Pythonistas at Streamsets. Okay, but that's fun. Yeah. Are they having fun with Python now? They really like it. We find that when we have to use other languages, like um, we we have a couple projects where we actually use TypeScript. And uh, when they have to get away from Python, we always kind of find ourselves missing it again. So yeah, so your product is Java, but you're testing with Python. Is what's the interface that you're talking with your product with? As I said, because it's kind of a web application, it has a you know really a really mature REST API. And so essentially, what we do with with PyTest and with Python is that the kind of workflows that a user would normally do through a UI. You know, everything they do through a UI obviously kicks off certain things in the back end in the REST API. And so my team eventually created kind of a, an SDK for Python that interacts with our product, which we actually then ended up selling. So it started off as an internal project of like, hey, how can we wrap our REST calls? But then it turns out that customers actually wanted something like that for their own use to kind of programmatically interact with our products. And so we took that, which we originally created for our test framework, we released it publicly, and then... From there, we basically created this like interface to let developers pretty much, you know, quickly write tests that simulate workflows that they would do in a UI. Okay, you're testing entirely through the API, then the REST API. Yep, yep, for the most part. Okay. Most of it's the REST API, and then for the assertions to like when we talk to external systems, we use existing Python libraries. So we're, you know, we're heavy users of like SQL Alchemy and the Bodo libraries from Amazon and things like that. Okay, are you testing your live site or are you putting your having things put up on a like a test server or how does that work? Yeah, so we make heavy use of Docker. So that's kind of one of the other things that we were really excited about when we started building the framework because our main application, so so we have a number of applications at, at Streamsets, but the one that was really the most prominent when I started a couple of years ago at Streamsets was something we call Streamsets Data Collector, which is it's basically a, a application that lets you move data from pretty much any origin to any destination you can come up with. And it has a nice kind of UI, so you don't have to write a bunch of code to do this. And uh, that application itself, even before I started at Streamsets, was actually one of the ways we distributed it was as a Docker container. So one of the main things we did with our test framework was we put in a bunch of kind of hooks and infrastructure so that with PyTest, when you run, when you say, you know, PyTest and then you want to pass in a test, we actually have kind of command line options where you can say PyTest and then you can say dash dash SDC version and whatever is passed in would actually, as part of our fixtures to start everything up, would actually spin up an instance of our data collector, which then the test would specifically point to when they're running from there on. So it's kind of like a self-contained solution, which is kind of nice. That's cool. Yeah, you spin up your test server just from the fixtures. Yep, and, and on top of that, because the fixtures have their, you know, when you have, in PyTest, when you have a fixture that has a yield to something, after it's done, you can actually clean up after it. So we even have a flag that can kind of stop it from happening, but in general, what our framework lets developers do is on their Macs, you know, if they're running Docker for Mac, they can basically say PyTest and then pass in the name, the name of a, a test they want to run, and they can say dash dash SDC version, you know, 3.6.0, and then if they do nothing else, the test would start up an instance of our product, it would run the tests and you know, report results, and then at the end it would actually tear down the Docker containers so that they don't have all these kind of runaway containers on their laptops. Nice. Okay. I think it's fun that you, uh, you brought up that notion of uh, having, passing in a flag to not tear it down. 
Is this so that you can debug things? Exactly. Yeah. So so we've had a few instances, and, and usually we try to like learn from them and then change the framework to actually pick up the cases. But we've had a few times where you know a test is failing, but the output isn't telling us much of anything because it turned out that you know we were logging some kind of failure, but we didn't realize that it was logging a failure. And so when that happens, you can pass in something we call you know dash dash keep. SDC instances. And then what'll happen is when the test is done running, it'll just skip that last step at the end of the fixture teardown so that a developer can then log in and go, ah, okay, I clicked around the logs and I discovered that this weird exception was being thrown that I hadn't thought of. Yeah. Oh, cool. I think I should add this. <laughs> this keep thing around. So I'm uh, seeing a lot of corollaries. We, so we, I'm at work, I'm not testing uh, REST APIs. I'm testing physical hardware, test instruments. But we do a similar thing that I'm not spinning up the hardware, but from the fixture. However, we have fixtures that will create a connection to the instrument and, and put it into a, a preset state. And then all the tests can use all that, that connection. But we, on the teardown, there's a lot of tendency for people to want to clean up what they're doing, like if they've turned on a power level or something or connected to some device to tear that connection down in, in a fixture. But even if we have like dash X on for stop on fail, that'll run the fixture code and tear things down and then it's not in a debuggable state. So trying to, I think, having an extra flag to say, hey, go ahead and keep some of these uh, debug states or states around that's a cool idea. I like that. Yeah, we, we added it early after discovering that you know I am very fallible, and I didn't think about all the ways developers would find clever, clever methods to break their products. So. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. DigitalOcean is the preferred cloud platform of hundreds of thousands of innovative companies. DigitalOcean makes it easy to deploy, manage, and scale applications with an intuitive control panel and API designed for developers. Get started with a free $100 credit towards your first project on DigitalOcean and experience everything the platform has to offer, such as cloud firewalls, real-time monitoring and alerts, global data centers, object storage, and the best support anywhere. Join over 150,000 businesses already creating amazing things on DigitalOcean. Claim your credit today at testandco.com slash DigitalOcean. Neat. PyTest is spinning up Docker stuff too. Do you have these Docker images preset, set up? Or so we run Jenkins at Streamsets, and we we basically have automation where every night, whenever we do kind of a full master build of our product, it actually triggers a separate job that my team manages that pretty much creates Docker images for our core product, and then all of the kind of libraries that plug into our product. Because our our product, because it talks to all these different sort of systems and environments, we we actually separate all those out from the core of the product. Because if we had a you know if we didn't do that, we would have this like five gigabyte product that we had to distribute. So instead, we have what are called stage libraries, where stage libraries could correspond to specific versions of talking to, for example, if, if I want to talk to an Apache Kafka cluster, it's a specific version of the Apache Kafka cluster library. And so every single night, we actually build images of, again, the core product and all the stage libraries as separate Docker images. And then as part of our test framework, because these images are, are built and then pushed to, to Docker Hub, the test can figure out when it's running, like, okay, I need the core version of 360 nightly, and then I also need these three stage libraries. And it pulls all those Docker images down and then kind of composes them into a single coherent product with all this stuff kind of set up for itself. Okay, so when you said you, you're building test framework on top of PyTest, 
Are you meaning fixtures or are you meaning something else? Part of it is fixtures, but part of it is even just kind of the way we package things together because so we call our test framework, you know, it's really not an original name, it's the stream says test framework. We use PyTest as our test runner, but then we also handle, as I said, all this stuff about orchestrating Docker containers to spin up our product, and also the fact that we package a bunch of libraries so that as part of our assertions, we're, we're sort of we're not depending on our product to tell us that the data got in correctly. What we're doing is after we might run, you know, a data pipeline that tries to move some data around, we then use these Python libraries that would then directly query our, you know, our destination. And what we discovered was that if we kind of package all that into a single new project, so we have PyTest and all those libraries, and we put it all under under this Docker container kind of infrastructure. By having that, it makes it really easy to run because then literally any developer can can run one command on their laptop, which is like freshly installed, and all of this is kind of ready for them. So when we when we say test framework, we mean the PyTest part, which is kind of the runner, and then all this other infrastructure with fixtures and and the libraries and the packaging and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, okay. I think it's cool that you've as a side project of this, or actually just kind of a bonus that you ended up building an SDK for stream sets or for at least for the data collector part. Yes, it was kind of a funny story because the way this all came about was, you know, a couple months after I started, we kind of wanted to to prove our our worth to the whole company, so we had this kind of all engineering meeting um, where we had people from the field and actually one of our like earliest employees when we were showing off like, oh, here's our test framework and here's how we can programmatically build pipelines, he actually like stopped the presentation and goes, "Customers would pay for that, you know." And we go, "Really?" He goes, <laughs> "Yeah, we have customers all the time asking like how can they do what you just did through code? And we go, oh, well, okay, maybe we should rethink this. And so that part we actually broke out from the test framework, and now it is it is a standalone kind of Python project that's up on, on PyPI. That's really cool. I like that. But it makes your job easier also. I mean, it makes the testing job easier because you need it to hook all your tests together. Exactly. You know, so. so the SDK has all these ways that from code you can interact with our products. And so... If a developer and the SDK itself now became a dependency of the test framework, so okay. we broke out the functionality that lets you talk to our product in Python. We broke it out into a separate project, and so a developer who adds some new feature, if they want the ability to test that feature, they first have to expand the SDK to support that feature because otherwise they can't write tests for it. So we kind of had this clever way of saying, because we want the the Python SDK to be really fully featured. If you want to have testing for your new feature, you first have to improve the SDK for Python. Okay, got it. Yeah. That makes sense. I had it backwards in my head. Customers or users of the SDK don't necessarily have to grab PyTest and all that. That's that's on top of the dependency goes the other direction, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. Yep. Got it. Cool. Well, so what are the, do you have any uh, like cool, fun stories or complete failures or anything that, with all of this process? In terms of failures, the kind of stuff we've seen, which has been kind of the, the craziness of it, is that when we were starting out, one of the things we were kind of hitting a lot was that, as I said, the way our product is kind of packaged is we have this core part of the product, and then we have all these stage libraries that are kind of plugins to let the product interact with different environments. And I would say one of the challenges we had to overcome was that we discovered pretty soon that sometimes developers like to start multiple builds of, a, of their product at once. And so we had one instance where the way our infrastructure works, we basically build all these Docker images for the core and then the stage library. But it turned out that developers had accidentally done like 
one major build of master, and then they checked in a bunch of new code, and then they did a second major build. And because of this kind of lag between building the images and, and running it, we discovered the next day that like we had some tests that were failing in a really weird way. And, and I kind of looked into it and realized that there was this race condition that happened where because we're kind of composing all of this into one master framework with all these containers, we had some containers that had been updated with the newest stuff and some that just hadn't been updated yet. We were like, hey, we can't reproduce this error you're seeing locally. And we realized nobody can ever reproduce this. It's only if you happen to be running like a split repository with like some things updated and some things not. We're doing, which is wanting to compose your product through Docker. You have to really be mindful of of the way you tag your images because otherwise you can you can run into those kind of race conditions. How do you get around that? Do you have a Docker composing based on like a label or a timestamp or something? Or? Exactly, yeah. So we, we basically could put the commit IDs for the master build into that. And so if it discovers that, hey, my stage library is out of sync with my core, it could either, depending on what flags you pass in when you run our, our test framework, you could either have it fail fast and say, you're doing something wrong, or you could say, okay, well, I'll run, but here's a huge warning that this this might give you weird behavior. Okay. If somebody's listening to this and going, hey, that this is kind of cool, You've been doing this for a while. How long has this project been going on? So this has been going on for about two years now. Okay, so the, we you can't jump from like zero to where you're at right away, but what are some of the first steps? I'm guessing having some sort of Python API to whatever you want to test, or I guess you could just use the REST API, but wrapping it in a, in a layer is a nice idea. What else do people have to do? The way we sort of started was there's this notion of kind of test-driven development where you write tests first and then you kind of write the things that are needed to support the tests. And I'm a, I'm a pretty big believer of it, even for kind of end-to-end testing. So in our case, like when we started, we basically said, okay, what do we want a test to look like? So even before we had any framework in place, we sort of said, okay, what would I want it to look like if I were a developer writing a test? And so in our case, we said, okay, well, I want to be able to programmatically define a pipeline. So here's what the code would look like. And you know, we wrote four or five lines of code that was kind of fake code that might look like it. Um, and then we said, okay, well, how would we start the product? And we decided, oh, well, the fixture can do that. So we don't have to start it in our code. And so I think in general, like if someone wants to start from scratch and, and build something like this, I think it it works best when you think in terms of the tests first, and you kind of optimize for the quality of the tests and the readability of the tests. And then you can always go back and, and build your you know your abstractions around that. But if you go the other way around, you'll sometimes find that you design something that no developer finds intuitive. Like a developer looks at it and goes, what the heck is going on here? This is clearly not written with you know a developer workflow in mind. And ultimately, our customer, even though the SDK is facing, you know, customer facing, we do have some some big customers that really like it. You know, first and foremost, our our customer for the engineering productivity team is the developer who works at Streamsets, and so we sort of have always had that mindset of of wanting to make it as intuitive for a developer as possible. I like that idea of uh, starting with something like, I want to test this thing. What do I want the test to look like, and then how do I make the rest of the infrastructure around it happen? You could probably like have this be a gradual thing too. You could. You could have it be uh, something you could build up over over time while you're doing other types of testing until until you can test more things. Like like if you got a new feature put in to an existing project or product, you could maybe test just even just that fe- new feature with um, with this sort of a model. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, one of the when we started, one of the first things we actually did was we would have our our product, like this data collector, running on its own, on its own machine. And so we didn't have to build all the Docker stuff initially. We actually, since it's a REST API, we just kind of have to pass in the server URL. 
And so that's exactly what we did. When we first started, we didn't build any of the Docker stuff. We started with like, okay, how can I interact with that pre-existing instance of our product? And then as time went on, we realized, hey, we could really simplify developers' lives if instead of requiring that they start up something first and then run the tests, if the tests themselves can have a you know flag to, to do that for them. So now at this point, are you having all of the developers are writing all the testing then? Yep, yep. So pretty much across the board, except with the with the exception of, you know, if we ever have to make a change to the SDK, we'll sometimes write like a really basic smoke test to make sure that we, you know, we wrapped it correctly. But other than that, when developers add new stages to our product or if they add new, you know, expand existing features or add configurations, they're the ones responsible for either adding new tests or updating the old tests so that they don't break with their new features in place. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. And how about learning? Like if you bring somebody else on, how do um do you is your uh, engineering productivity team are they helping to train um developers on how to use the tools and how to how to write, write pytest code or Yeah, absolutely. They do a few things. On some occasions they'll do kind of like presentations. So if we have a new developer who's really into stuff, who really wants to kind of have a deep insight into it, they'll actually do a presentation where they walk them through and sort of show them, okay, here is a simple test that talks to a a database, and here's how we wrote it, and here's how it works. We also have a kind of a Slack channel for our team specifically on on our Slack organization in, in our company, so people can go in there at all times and ask all kinds of questions. And then the last part about it is that we are very big on code review. So we often will encourage developers that, hey, if you're new, go ahead and write a test for some trivial thing that maybe we just don't have coverage for, but you want to try it out. And then within the code review, we'll go ahead and give comments to say, oh, we, you know, we adhere to to PEP8, or we we actually prefer that you don't do this, but you do that you start this using a fixture instead of having it coded as a function within the body of the module or something like that. Okay. So we have a few of these kind of avenues to onboard people. How much do you utilize code reviews of, of test code? Very heavily. So we actually have kind of this internal standard at StreamSets where when a developer adds a new test, it has to go through code review. We use Garrett for code review. And um, we actually have this kind of informal policy, which maybe we're going to formalize, but basically from engineering productivity, we can only kind of give a plus one. So we can say, okay, this looks fine as a test, but we actually demand that another developer who's more familiar with the functionality give it the final plus two before it gets pushed in. So that we kind of have one person reviewing more on style and on the framework usage, and then a separate developer focusing more on Okay, as a test, does this make sense in terms of the covers it's adding, or is this you know not a very useful test? Oh, I like that idea of having uh, somebody that knows the test framework and somebody that knows the uh, the code under test being yeah. part of the review. That's cool. It saved us on a few occasions where it turns out that a test looked really good, and then the developer chimed in and goes, "This isn't actually testing anything." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I like it. It's a nice idea. Now, uh, as far as Slack goes, I have to give you a shout out and a thank you. You are also, somebody that jumps into the Slack channel for this podcast and helps out there quite a bit. It's an awesome channel. You've got a really uh, a vibrant community of people that are really testing nerds. So it's you did a, you've done a good service for the Python community. It's one of those incredible things that people answer questions that I have no idea what the answer is, but there's some bright people in there. It's good. Shout out to your product under test, your stream set stuff. But let's give a plug for it. What kind of a person would use this? So users of stream sets are basically anybody that wants to manage data or move data or get insights into data as it's going through their systems is basically a stream sets user. So we've got some customers that are huge enterprises um, and we have some customers that are really, really small startups that just don't want to have to hire 
a Java developer to hard code in a bunch of like solutions to move data around. And so kind of all of those are are kind of users of stream sets. Okay. Neat. It's a Java-based thing, but I'm guessing that it doesn't have to be a Java application to use stream sets. Yeah, so stream sets, in fact, like one of the one of the main reasons stream sets exist is because you don't really have to write code at all to use it. So it has a really functional and, and useful, you know, front end in a web UI that's been beautifully designed so that if you know that you want to move data from like a let's say you've got a an Amazon S3 bucket and you want to move it into like an Oracle database. You don't have to write any code to do that. You can actually pretty much drag and drop stages onto a canvas and then connect them together. And in between, you can do all kinds of processing steps in the middle to like sanitize your data or make sure that you know you're not accidentally having social security numbers getting pushed in to a database in plain text or anything like that. But basically, you don't actually have to write any code to use it. And as I said, you can you can run it in Docker. We also have kind of a cloud-based solution so that if a user really just wants to like go ahead and get started and not not have to become an expert on you know data operations they can pretty much create an account with us and log in and start creating pipelines within 5 minutes that's cool with your testing and stuff you've been written a lot of custom fixtures and custom packages and whatever are there any uh like off-the-shelf plugins that you're using for PyTest? That's a really good question. So we're definitely using a few. I'm going to pull it up, actually, as I answer this, because I'm trying to remember the names of a couple of the other ones. So one of the ones we actually do use is, for internal purposes, we do some performance testing where we create some of these pipelines and then run them and kind of get a sense of the throughput for certain things. And so one of the things we've definitely used a lot of is PyTest Benchmark, which is really cool because it adds some, some nice fixtures to let you check the runtime of your code and things like that. I think we've also had some instances of using some of the fixtures that make it easier to kind of have the put from PyTest easier to digest with Jenkins. So we use the the JUnit XML functionality from from PyTest because then we can when we run our tests we can then have Jenkins parse those results and actually show them up in in the normal kind of UI without without us having to to scrape from the you know the pie test output. Yeah. But then most of the rest of it I think is pretty much our fixtures internally. I think there might be one or two more, but I don't have it here in front of me. Okay. Yep. I always forget about the benchmark. It's so often that you want to try to time some code or time a section of test. And I always forget about that. It'd be the like the perfect use case for that. So Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well this has been a lot of fun having you on. Uh, is there anything that we uh, Forgot to cover that you wanted to make sure to get in? No, not really. If anyone's interested in kind of knowing more about sort of the design decisions that went into our test framework, we do have a, a blog post up. So if you go to streamsets.com slash blog, one of the posts there from a few weeks ago is called Introducing the Streamsets Test Framework. And so someone who who listens to this and goes, hey, I want to know how to install that or I want to I want to see what weird things they did with Docker. Uh, you can see that blog post and it kind of walks you through example tests and Points to our GitHub that you know has all of our open source tests that are that are out there. You have some. You have this stuff up on open source. Oh yeah, yeah. So so our all of our testing for data collector is open source because data collector itself is a Apache license open source product as well. So if you want kind of examples <laughs> of how testing can live out in the open, you can check out GitHub.com/streamsets and go to the data collector tests repository. Yeah, or check out the show notes for this episode because I'll definitely link to all this stuff. That's yep. very exciting. Thanks a lot. This is fun. Thank you. And we'll uh, maybe keep, grab you on some other time. So. Sounds great. Thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring. Grab your $100 credit at testandcode.com slash DigitalOcean. That link is also in the show notes at testandcode.com slash 58. Thanks to Dima for all that great info and for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks to Patreon supporters for your continued support of the show. And thank you. Thank you for listening. 
for sharing the show with friends and colleagues, for pitching in with the cost of the show through Patreon, and for giving the show a rating in iTunes. It really helps other people find it. And also, thank you for checking out the DigitalOcean offering through the link in the show notes. And last but not least, thank you to Marco for the audio help. You rock. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. Music